learn how to give a, a facial beforehand to exfoliate all of that off and your makeup job is going to look so much better. That's my cosmetic tip. Wow. I want to be one of your bodies when I pass away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, get pampered after death. Welcome to another episode of The Mortuary Show. We have an infamous guest, the best embalmer to ever live, Monica Torres. How are you? Oh my gosh. I don't know if I can live up to that. Thank you, Michael. I'm You're the number you. one. I, I couldn't even hold uh, my hospital gown uh, to you in the prep room. So we appreciate yeah. you taking the time to, to talk to us. I don't know about that. But um, thank you for having me. I'm I'm super, super honored to be on your show. And like, I was just really excited that you even um, reached out to me and said, hey, Monica, will you do this? I love of it. Course. Of course. So uh, let's let's start with a little heat. Uh, what would you say your most difficult embalming case you ever had to do, um, you ever had to deal with? I know you've done a ton, but if you had one that kind of stands apart the rest, uh, what would you say was your most challenging case that you had to do from kind of start to finish? Um, well, as you know, I specialize in hard cases, so they're yep. all, <laughs> they, yeah, I don't forget any of them because they all stand out, but yeah. I would have to say if I re really, really want to know, it would be my dog fancy. What? Yeah. No kidding. Yeah. Oh my gosh. All right. We're going to have to get it. What is your dog's name? Clancy? Fancy. My Doberman. Fancy. She died. fancy. Yeah. She died last year. My dog. Oh, I'm so yeah. sorry. Okay. And we, we're going to have to go down this. How did you even think that you could or could, first of all, could be able to, because it's your own dog. That's got to be so hard. And from an actual embalming scenario, uh, how did that go? And what was that like? That That is maybe the most interesting thing I've heard uh, in a long, long time. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, well, so um, it was difficult. Let me just put it that way from an emotional aspect because yeah. Nancy died. Um, you know, I always had this view of like, oh, we'll have this vet come in and she'll be like, you know, we'll put her down in her bed in our home and she'll die this yeah. comfortable, good death, like all little sweet little animals God's creatures are supposed to. Yeah. But Last year, my uh, boyfriend and I were moving and we took our dogs oh. to um, the lady who actually bred the dog and had fancy before oh, yeah. I did. And they, I yeah. mean, she's like the, our the babysitter, right? So we take her there. Yeah. Um, tragically, there was a dog fight that broke out and they're Dobermans. So fancy was mauled and she was, her, her, her whole body was, um, I mean, she had broken bones, oh compound fractures. I mean, just, I mean, the worst of the worst case scenario for oh our little family member, just a nightmare. And so she, we ended up having to put her down like immediately. I didn't, I wasn't even there when she died because it was just so traumatic. Um, so we were in the middle of a move. We were literally moving. Holy from to First next. of all, I'm so sorry that that is just, I mean, I couldn't even imagine. I have a dog myself and. Anytime that she gets, anytime that she gets into like a little scrap, whether it's at the dog park or another dog, it is such like a scary moment mm -hmm. because you don't know that at the end of the day, they are still animals as, as cute and lovable as they are 99.9% of the time. It's still sometimes scary because you don't know how dogs are going to react with each other sometimes. And geez, I am so sorry to hear that. Yeah. That's just, that's horrific. It is horrific. So yeah. So I, it was like, okay, well, what are our options? Like many families who lose a loved one tragically in a car accident or a work accident or whatever right. kind of traumatic death, you're put into this, you're thrown into the situation where the way that we typically go down our grief journey, it's, it's different. You don't go to the funeral yeah. and have like open casket feeling and it's like perfect. And everything is just the way, you know, it's a standard, this is the way we do it. And everything gets thrown into like, okay, now what do we do? So, right. So at that time, um, we were moving and I, I'm like, okay, well, what do I do? Because I have to have a funeral for her. Like she's, 
uh, well, I'm a mortician, right? And like, we have to, I have right. to honor my pet and, and do all these things just for my own grief journey. And uh -huh. so I basically was like, well, we're going to have to put her like, we're going to have to put her in the cooler and until we can get moved in and get situated at the new house enough, like True. at least get the boxes off the truck. Right. So that's what I did. I yeah. called up some friends here in town who own a funeral home, some colleagues. And I said, Hey, they have a pet mortuary. And I gave, I told them what happened. And I'm like, I, is there like, can you guys hold her for like two weeks in the cooler? Right. And of course, you know how most funeral directors are like, they're like, yeah, of course, like bring her down. Yeah. Like we'll just put her in the cooler. And so I thought then my more, my embalmer mind started kicking in and I'm like, well, what can I do to preserve her body in the meantime? Because all my tools were packed. I didn't have any of my embalming tools. I didn't have any of my chemicals. Everything was packed in the big moving truck. So I basically sprayed her body down at the pet uh, funeral home. I sprayed her body down. I had them wash her really well. The vet yeah. kind of washed her. I said, just antibacterial, the crap out of her. Just alcohol, whatever you guys have, disinfectant, disinfect her body as best that you can because she was um, attacked. It was like a farm type situation. So there was like mud and horse manure. So we're talking tissue gas here now, right? Oh my gosh. So yeah, I mean, so they did, they did a great job. The vet clinic did an amazing job. They disinfected her body, washed her like extremely well. I sprayed some like, oh, I think it was like Omega decomp factor on her body. Yeah. And dried her as best I could. And we put her in the cooler. Michael, she stayed there for two weeks in the cooler um, while we got things situated at home. And my family kind of um, rallied to like, okay, we're going to dig this hole and we're going to, you know, do all this, you know, funeral for her. Right. And um, right. it was, it was just crazy. In the end, I thought I was going to have to go through all this process to like embalm her and drain her blood and everything. And That's the cooler itself. Yeah, no, she was disinfected so well. And that omega decomp factor spray, like really knocked out a lot of the odor and any, um, no I kidding. did like, I did puncture her abdomen so that any gas or yeah. whatever, right with my trocar. Um, yeah. but she was good to go. She was like that day. She was wow. so cool. Yeah. Like I let her thaw out and I like basically just kind of sprayed her down again and, and she wasn't stinky or anything. And we ended up having an open casket. Um, funeral for her here at the new house two weeks wow. after that. yeah that's incredible I mean, yeah you can I mean, see that, it on my instagram yeah i'm gonna have to scroll back and find that i mean first of all what a traumatic like thing you have to go through but the fact that you were able to kind of overcome that and still able to have the service that you wanted to have for yep. you know a close literally a close family member like that's mm -hmm. so nice and that's like a gift for probably all the amazing work that you've done that it's coming back and reciprocated in like a traumatic event for you that you were able to do that at least i believe in that kind of stuff you know that it's all it all comes full circle so that's that's a beautiful thing yeah so that's probably been the hardest case that i've had um just because of the circumstances and you know our yeah. our, our our animals our pets our they're our family members yeah and um so i was just really thankful that i was able to honor her without my skills and embalmer I, as an embalmer i wouldn't have been able to like no. have that service for her and i think because she was died in such a traumatic and horrible way um it brought yeah. a lot of healing to myself but to my family as well my, i mean my parents yeah, I don't, did everybody right and i don't even think for someone that didn't have your background, they wouldn't even know or think that it's even a possibility to do something. They would just say, okay, we just have to cremate the poor baby right. dog and then that's going to be it. So that's just so nice that you're able to do that. How was that conversation with the poor farm or the breeder, whoever oh, it was? I that... know. Well, and she's one of my best friends. No. She was devastated because Fancy was actually her dog. Uh, before I adopted her and they were still really close. I mean, she was really close to that dog. So it was, it was hard on everybody. And, you know, I just, Man. I had to tell her up front, I'm like, look, do not, this is not your fault. Like these are dogs. Right. They are unpredictable. Like you yep. can't blame yourself. Like this was fancy's way that this is, this was her time. And this is, we don't all get a good death. Uh, Jeez. Animals, our pets, you know, I mean, we don't get to choose our death 
a lot of times that way um, as far as right. like, you know, we can't control accidents. They happen. Um, but we can control our, our grief journey and the way that we yeah. choose to move upon that. And by sharing that, I shared it on my social media, her burial, you can see us burying her and everything. And I think for a lot of people, they're, like you said, they're like, whoa, like we can do that. Yeah, right. can. absolutely. It's a very cool thing. And it, that's a nice thing that you open other people's eyes to say that that's an opportunity that you can do for your pet if it were to have that scenario down the road and how old was fancy? Like how old, how old was the pup? She was, she was elderly. She was uh, nine years old. Yeah. So it was, Oh, that know. makes it even like, yeah. It that works, but like, yeah, you're more attached, right? Hey. Yeah. <laughs> was, yeah. Was, I don't, was, I don't uh, even know. Yeah. It just, Oh, I'm so sorry. That's it was, absolutely it was terrible. Brutal. But there, there are some good things that came out of it. Um, the year before Fancy died, Cole and Peary and I uh, did a, we collaborated on a death of a pet class. And so we already had that class up and rolling. And so when mm -hmm. Fancy died, I re-released that class. And that class really does, it teaches um, people how to care for the body of their pet, not just like, oh, have a funeral. Like, this is like legit. Like, this is how you care for the how body. This it. is how you treat the orifices and like this is how you yeah. actually disguise and disinfect and so i re-released that Very course cool. um like i think like a week after i was still a mess but it was healing for me to like obviously share my story with you know the people yeah. that took my class but help people there were people that were like my dog is dying it's like my dog is on like puppy hospice or is she's gonna die the vet said she's like terminal and like you know, so all these people got to take the class. And so something mm -hmm. good came out of it. I mean, it's, it's been that's a journey funny. for sure. That's such a, that's a useful thing. Uh, and something that you're not going to be able to find anywhere ever. So like, that's yeah. such uh, a cool idea that you had because, uh, so many people come across that situation multiple times in their life. So it's very valuable for people to understand and to be able to do that if that, if they're so inclined to. Yeah, and the home the home funeral, I think, uh, population, more and more of these more people are wanting to be involved in the preparations of their loved ones. This is a really great yeah. segue because like, you know, pets are a family, but you can also include children, you know, to help during that process. So it is an it is a easier way to face the death of a loved one when when it is a pet. Um and right. start to prepare ourselves and our families for preparing a loved one later on if that's what they choose it helps everyone in the healing process that's that's for sure 100%. Um, all right switching gears a little bit you were just you were just telling me a story about another very challenging case um you were in illinois for the funeral convention last year um and you had a beautiful shout out uh during the convention when you were giving um one of your one of your speeches to everyone do you want to tell us that story <laughs> well since you asked her i'll go into that um it was it was, it was the highlight it was. It was a highlight of my career for a couple of different reasons. Um, number one, the the association themselves, they had a huge turnout. And I believe there was close to 450 yeah. people there. I might be off a little bit on that count, but there was a huge crowd. It was the biggest crowd. Yeah, it was the biggest crowd besides the NFDA that I've spoken at of funeral directors. And um there was, I mean, it was huge. There was just tons and tons of people in the audience. So I was a little nervous walking up, but the president of the association came up and said, you know, this is Monica Torres and she's going to be speaking for us today on embalming in the technical section and blah, blah, blah. And then yeah. she said, and for all of you who may be skeptical about this, you know, five foot two little Latina girl coming up here, to, <laughs> you know, we have one of her clients in our audience today and mm -hmm. um, Mr. Wood stood up and he said, you know, I had this difficult case. It was a decapitation. It was a ship out case. Um, highly emotional for the family, as you can imagine, it was a, a young person. Sure. And he just gave me the biggest kudos and said, you know, we thought we had told the family that it was going to be closed casket and, and Monica came through and we were able to have this open casket for this young person. And, he just couldn't, he just went on and on about it in front of all these funeral directors. So I was like, you know what? There's no better testimony than that. No, like, no better way to go into uh, speaking in front of, you know, 400 plus people 
than for somebody to come up and say, I've seen it with my own eyes. So that'll calm yeah. your nerves uh, immediately. I, ma- I imagine that'll, that'll calm you down. So how did the case actually go? What does the process look like for you when, whenever you have, or maybe that's your only time, I don't know. Um, when you've come across a, a decapitation like that, what is, what would be your general guidelines to someone if they, if they have that, you know, at some point in their career? That's, that's actually a really good question. Um, so what I, if I was going to give somebody some advice and they do receive a difficult case, a decapitation, cause they do happen, you might get one or two yeah. maybe in your career. Yeah, but I've never had happen, one. So I, I haven't. Yeah. Well, lucky you, they're tough. Um, Mac but and wood. <laughs> they're, yeah, they're tough emotionally, mentally, physically. Sure. It's hard to wrap your head around, but First right. thing I would say is disinfection is the key. And I think there's most embalmers, many, not most, many skip over that step. They go right into shooting the juice. They just go right in and they yeah. start embalming. And I really, really advise don't skip the disinfection portion. It, it's it's one third disinfection, one-third preservation, one-third restoration, and you should equally spend your time on all those three processes. Okay. With a case like that, typically when there's a decapitation, now you're looking at possibility for tissue gas because it's an accident. Most likely there is bacteria that has been um, had the opportunity to enter the body. And that's that's scary. That's really the scariest part because you can get everything else right. But if you don't treat the body for tissue gas. It can well, you know, yeah, it's trouble. So I would say disinfection first and foremost. Make sure that that body is totally mm-hmm. disinfected and that you're using a chemical that has a tissue gas fighter in it, um, okay. whether it's tropical or in, in internally through the cavity, whatever. Um, and document. So what I do is I'll go around the body and I will literally I will document everything. Um, whether voice record or I'll write it on my embalming report. I start my embalming report early so yeah. that I don't get overwhelmed. I sure. can see my progress, right? Because those cases are really overwhelming. Kind of lay, out, lay out your process because this yeah. is not a normal 50 minute or like this is right? going to be a calculated step-by-step process. And it would be like, I'm sure overwhelming and like a daunting task just to think about how much time and effort it's going to take to make this a presentable situation for a family. Yeah. And then just get creative. I mean, every, every case, every traumatic case that I face, you can have like the basics, but just get creative. Like you do what you need to do and have the proper authorizations signed before you start. Uh, any funeral director right. that's listening right now, you can go to my website and you can download that authorization for preparation of remains. And it will, it's updated. It's not like these antiquated, like embalming yeah. authorizations that like <laughs> everybody keeps in their drawer at the funeral home. Yeah, that my like, grandfather up, was probably yeah. using. <laughs> like update those, update those so that you can really, like you can do what you need to do as sure. far as extreme as as far as extreme embalming is concerned, that you don't have to question, is this, is this ethical or is this, is right. you know, what would the family think? Get the permission in advance. You know that you're going to need yeah. to do things that are out of the norm. So don't, don't wait until you're in that situation. Get the authorization beforehand. I like that because it takes the nervousness out of it or the intimidation to try something that's outside of your wheelhouse because you're like, what if I mess up? Well, what is this? If you have the authorization from the family that you need to do what you have to do to make this situation as best as possible, that gives you a little bit more of a peace of mind to go outside of your comfort zone and try some more things. So rather than being scared to to do these things that you've never done before, it gives you a little bit more... Um, confidence confidence in yourself that you're going to be able to do it. So that's a, that's another great tip. I really like that. Yeah, absolutely. And then, so as far as like actual, the physical process, what did that look like for you? Um, were you using some sort of rod, um, you know, situation or was there suturing prior to, or how did that kind of work from an actual physical process? All of that, there's all of that involved. And um, I would encourage anyone who wants to learn to reach out to me and we can talk more in depth about that in class. But yes, prosthetics are used. 
um, yep. heavy. I will tell you that heavy uh, line suture, right? So you don't want to use the skimpy yeah. stuff. You do you yeah. use that heavy, heavy duty line suture and expect that your uh, your hands and your knuckles and your joints are going to get tired and you may need to take a break and get a Red Bull or something. But um, yeah, but yeah. sure. You're going to have, you're going to have some carpal tunnel, I, I think after yes. a case like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, the biggest tip though I can say is using a, a waterless um, or high index, you know, above a okay. 4%, I would say four would be firmness. like the very, very minimum. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, using whatever kind of prosthetic that you choose to use. Some people like to use a rod. Some people use a wooden dowel. Some people use um, plastic type of right. prosthetic. Whatever works is what really- Right. Whatever is controlled up that strength. Yes. That mm -hmm. makes sense. But yeah, you, you yeah. do need something for stability. You need something to hold the neck right. in place and for stability. So it's not, it, it is not rocket science, but it does take uh, <laughs> guts. Like you do have to be cautious. Nice. You do have to be committed to it. Yep. You have to be committed to the process and you have to have confidence in your skills. Right. Yep. And then finally, you cannot be afraid. No. Fear that's is kind not of what part I of the equation. Yeah. You got to leave right. fear at the door. So that's, that's my process. <laughs> I love that. And that's something that I've like always said to my students at the funeral home is that you have to be aggressive in here. I think it's a natural tendency. And I remember when I was going through school years ago that there was an intimidation or um, kind of a hesitation to get in there and really be aggressive. That is what you have to do. If you want to be a good embalmer, you have to be willing to get in there, get your hands dirty and to be aggressive and assertive and not be afraid to do these things or afraid that you're going to cause some sort of damage because it is a physically exhausting and grueling job, but that's something that you need to, to do to separate yourself and take yourself to a different level is to be aggressive in, in your actions and the way you perform it. Because otherwise you're never going to, first of all, learn how to progress and how to get better if you're going to be timid and you're going to do the same thing over and over again. And then secondly, just from a pure physical standpoint, you're not going to get the best results if you're not getting in there and you're doing the work that you need to do. So I really like that. And I, I've said many things you've taught many, many more people than I, but um, that's something that I've always said to, to our students at work for sure. Yeah. You you can't be timid. This is not a job for if, if for a timid person or somebody that has um, you know, is battling fear and fears overcoming them on a regular basis, you know, anybody uh, who wants to do this job, like you have to know, how to battle fear up front. Like that's number one mm -hmm. before you become an embalmer. Like if, if you can't, yeah. if you cannot strategize and learn how to be a warrior when it comes to fear and cause you're going to fight that on a daily basis. Yeah. Right. You got to learn. You yeah. You have to, you have yeah. to move past them. And so that you can, like you said, be aggressive and get in there. You can't, um, you can't dilly dally and say, well, I don't know. And you know, <laughs> It's like what you're never, you're not going to do whatever you're doing is not going to make it worse. Yep. That's exactly. Not make it worse. That's a good and anything that you do do, this is something that I learned a long time ago. Anything that you do do, you can often rectify and you can Absolutely. improve upon it. If you make a mistake, sometimes you would say, it's just, you know, it's absolutely possible to revert that in some way, shape or form. So don't yeah, be afraid absolutely. to make those mistakes. That's, that's our job. Yeah. Right? That's our job. So just, absolutely. hundred percent agree. Learn from them. Yeah. Uh, so I know you have your own trade service. How did that um, start for you? And what was it like kind of growing your clientele? And now you're very much known for performing a lot of um, uncommon, unique um, situations for embalming. So how did that all come to be at the beginning? And I know how much you love it and tell us a little bit about it and um, kind of where you see yourself moving in the future with, with your kind of work and your teaching at the same time too. Well, I, I started out like much of the rest of us these days. I don't, I don't come from a funeral family. I, I'm not mm -hmm. part of a legacy. So I really started out on my own every bit of success that i've managed to achieve has been on my own and with a lot of hard work yeah. um perseverance 
and just commitment to my trade and, and my craft. So in the beginning, I started, this was a second career for me. I started in my early life as a cosmetologist. And then I thought, you know what, I've, yeah. I want to transfer into a career that I can piggyback my cosmetology uh, background yeah. on. So this was one of the careers that popped up for me. And I thought, you know what? I I think I have just enough of a dark side and I am a compassionate <laughs> person to yep. take this on, right? Not really knowing what I was getting into, but I thought I, I can do this. I can totally do this. So um, no I've suffered losses in my own family. My own father was um, killed in a traumatic and tragic mining oh, accident. So I did know that there were people that did reconstruct Jeez. and restorative types of services um yeah. once i graduated got my in got my license you know got my experience um i mean i was newly licensed and i started my trade service i kind of just already was like i want to do this i have an entrepreneurial yeah. entrepreneurial, <laughs> entrepreneurial spirit I yeah had a, my first Good. business as a nail tech i owned a, a small um beauty salon business so i thought i can do it with this it. too and i did i just opened my trade service um, I bumped my head along the way, but I started offering, um, deserology services to funeral homes. And I, I was like old school, Michael, I used to go to the funeral yeah. home with my little black suit and like my you flyers. Don't see that nowadays. <laughs> yeah. I would go to the funeral homes, with my little black suit and my flyers. And I would be like, these are my packages. And I offer like hair, makeup, nails for like, you know, 85 bucks. And then right. I would, yep. you know. Um, by the way, I'm also a licensed embalmer because nobody nobody wanted to hire me at that point. No one would give me a chance. So I just kept, I would go every like day. I would just choose like three or four different funeral homes. And then I started sending facts. Yeah, you know, old school funeral homes, right? I would send a fax to like no doubt. 20 funeral homes. Yeah, I would, every morning I would send a fax <laughs> with my flyer, like, you know, next generation trade service. Like, you know, so yeah. we do it. We do deserology and... And then after a while, I got a few clients, they would call me for hair and makeup. And then they were like, hey, you know, we have an embalming. Do you think you can do this embalming? And finally, I got my break, you know? And yeah. then once they once they let me embalm, they're like, oh, she's not horrible. <laughs> this will get <laughs> some work, but we'll keep Our her on. And, yeah. uh, and so, yeah, and that's how I started. And I got a, I got a couple of clients here and there. And then... Um, I went to school. I thought, you know what? I really need to up my skills because I was asking right. the funeral homes, like, what are your what feedback? Right. And then I, I got yeah. like one funeral home that was brave enough to tell me like, hey, you know, like that body wasn't really embalmed very well. <laughs> so I'm like, OK, so how do I how do I get past this? Right. It's failure. How do I get past this failure? And that's when I went yeah. to the Fountain Academy and um, and decided to up my skills, invest in myself. Right. Smart invest in Love myself, it. my business, and then my, my business after I invested in myself is when my business truly catapulted. It's the best way to do it. That's amazing. And so did, would you say you perfected your craft, like along the lines of after getting in there and performing case after case, is that really how you kind of honed in on, and how did you find yourself going down that, um, unique sort of involvement cases? Um, and wh where did that sort of come from at the beginning? Uh, gosh, that's a good question. You know, I, I don't, I don't know. I just, I think, I guess my, my colleagues noticed and they kind of pointed out like, this is where you shine. Like you, yeah. you, know, you shine in this area. Like you've, when I, when, and this is what I try to tell my, my future students, future morticians that are thinking about taking my class and they're kind of on the fence yeah. of like, well, it's so much money and it's an invest, you know, I, I don't know yeah. if I have that kind of money and I'm a student and all this stuff is that you're investing in yourself, you're, you're investing in yourself. But what, what that did was, you know, when I came out of school from the Fountain Academy, I knew how to handle all these cases. I mean, I went from like my confidence right. level of like a three or a four from taking, you know, from uh, coming out of that, uh, educational experience to nine or 10. Like I can handle yeah. any of this. I know what to do. And then from there, it was just a matter of um, practice, right? You get that case and it's yep. like, okay, go back and you know, I got to look in my notes. And then I, okay, this is in troubleshoot. And, and then you just do your best. And that's yes. kind of how it, it progressed. And I would just let funeral homes know, I would tell the owners, I would say, listen, if you guys get a case and nobody else wants to do it or they can't call me, I'll try. 
and that's a that's a great way to get in the door with some places because a lot of people don't want to handle those hard challenging cases and they would rather have someone that is more of an expert or more willing to get in there and get their hands dirty or take the time that it's needed because most of it i would say is a time thing because a lot of those challenging cases are so yes. time consuming yes. and then once you get the word going around i'm sure that's just how it just kind of snowballed and that's so cool i love that you you started just investing in yourself and i'm sure the returns were a hundredfold over just from you know learning a few things from other people and then um, that's my favorite thing is when you get tips and tricks from all these mm -hmm. different funeral directors, yes. find your own way into doing it. Then that's, that's amazing. That's wonderful. Uh, what, what would you say are some of your favorite courses that, that you have? Um, and what do you, would you say, let's say you're a funeral director and Balmer just starting out. What were, what are some of those courses that would be most beneficial? And then for someone like me, who's been doing it for almost 10 years, what would something um, that would separate me um, from someone else too? Uh, like tenfolded oh, question for you, Monica. I got, I got an answer for you, Michael. It's so easy. That That is such an easy question. So I would say my, not my favorite, but the most, the one that I would say is I find most value in right now, as far as like the return from people investing and getting out of is the, yeah. how to, how to embalm an obese case. Because okay. right now the obesity epidemic is full yep. freaking force. It is full yeah. freaking force. And our and as morticians, every other case for me, honestly, uh, yeah. every other case. Yes, yes, and and it's not Basically. going away. It's only oh. going to continue. And I talk yep. about in that class how funeral homes, not just embalming, not just a prep room, but like, is your facility prepared for the future? Because, you know, 10, 15 oh. years ago, we were talking about cremation, right? And, oh, we have to do this and we have to do that. And we have to get ready for cremation. Now it's the obesity epidemic that we're, people are barely starting to talk about. And you know what? It's upon us. Yeah, no are one's ever talked about right that. Enough? Cool. Right? Are your right? people, your, your equipment, do you have the, right, you, yeah. yeah, do you have the staff to even handle these cases? Right. You know, so- right. That And then also from a technical aspect, if you can handle, if you can learn how to embalm an oversized case, you can take any other case on. That is the foundation, learning the preservation techniques to preserve tissue on that kind of a scale. You can do anything else. Yeah. The other stuff is art. That's cool. I've art. never heard of I've never heard of someone even talking about that before, and it's so unbelievably prevalent that it, that it needs to be discussed more. And how are we attacking these situations, and what are the best procedures? Because it's not even um, talked about that much. Everyone talks about edema and jaundice or skin slip or decomposition, mm -hmm. whatever. But those happen. Those happen frequent. Yeah, of course. But in an obesity case, that's happening at an unbelievably higher rate than those, in my opinion, from what yep. I've seen over my career. So we need to be able to know how to do that. And you need to be able to know how to do it by yourself, too. And I don't know if that's yes. something you ever address, but like I'm in the prep room by myself always. So like, yes. how am I going to handle these situations when I'm by myself? So I think that's like a, another different aspect that um, maybe some people don't think about, but it's. I, I love that that would be well, your safety, suggestion because the safety issue and I do cover that um, in class like how what are some different ways that we can create a safe environment when you're working by yourself and then also yeah. like I do talk about in class like you know what maybe you're not equipped and then that's a tough that's tough to face but yeah some humans, they're, like when to know when to call in the big guns when to call that yeah. bomber or when to ask for help from other funeral homes um, but all that definitely in that class, I would say most valuable for funeral directors of experience. Um, yeah. It gives you the different view on an age old, you know, problem that's coming, it's coming to head and it's, it's coming full force. So definitely um, experienced morticians. I would definitely recommend that class for, I'm sorry, for new, for new morticians. I would definitely recommend that class, but even for experienced and then you sure. asked a question about someone like yourself that has experience, like what class right. would really give me a different perspective? And I would have to say that would be my infant embalming class. My infant embalming yeah. class takes That's on, tough. it really challenges the participant to question the way we've always done it. 
Yeah. Okay. Why are we, why are we still offering these free baby services to families? Okay. So, and, and a lot of funerals will say, well, you know, what's out of our hearts and, and, you know, we're offering this free service, but think about then and think about now, as far as where we've come in funeral service back then it was relevant to offer free services to families. Now you talk to any marketing guru and they will tell you the word free equals no value. So is that really what you want to express to your families is that your baby, your infant, your, your tiny, precious little angel has no value. Uh. Okay. Because if you think about it now, free, you go into a bakery and they say free cookies. Like you may or may not take it. Eh, whatever. Right. Free, free, uh, kids eat free. I don't want to go there. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I don't want to go there. Um, you know, so all these yeah. different marketing, the way that we've marketed in the past and the way that we market now, you know, as well as I do, the funeral industry is really stuck in the past in a lot of different avenues. This happens to be sure. one of them, in my, in my opinion. Um, in my experience working with um, the diocese where the Catholic diocese where infant services are great there. I mean, we had a huge yep. baby and ministry, baby ministry there. Yep. Um, these families weren't interested in free. They want to honor their child, their loved one, their, uh, even the babies that were miscarried um, babies, they wanted to honor their child. They wanted a service. They wanted something. They want to hold the baby and, you know, 18 week right. gestation. I have had many mothers and fathers. They want to hold that baby. And once I offered them the opportunity to hold the baby, they mm. took it every time. Every single time they took yeah. it. So I think there's a major, major, um, especially funeral directors that have been doing this a really long time. We've just mm. been taught like that's the way we do it. But why? I want to challenge everybody that's listening right now. Why? Why are you still doing that? Yeah. There's a better I mean, way. You're, you're, you're challenging me. I can't deny that because my family has done it that way for so, so long. And we have had families come back and tell us 40 years later, you buried, you know, our baby at no cost. Yes. And it always meant so much to us. And I, and I do, I do like your point about saying the no value, because that is a different thing that I've never really thought about. I don't know if you know, I, I actually help run this really small nonprofit in Chicago. Um, and we do free funeral services for um, infants, pregnancy loss and infants out of Chicago. And it's not through the funeral home. It's actually a nonprofit. So we have like taxes and st status and all that stuff. And the amount of families that do opt for us are very, very high. Um, so that is like my one pushback because. But think about, think about this though, is what you offer. They're not necessarily getting like the free service at the funeral home where they, right. You guys sure. offer, you offer a service. And so even though it's free, right. That may be a, just a term that you could, that you could turn into another uh, marketing term. Right. But the families and the reason you have such a high volume is because families want to memorialize their babies. Oh, for sure. There's no doubt about that. Absolutely. And okay, so we're kind of on the same page. I was more so like, I love what I do. Like for these families, it, it makes me like feel so, um, just blessed that I have an opportunity to help someone that's going through such a hard time. But I, I, I do totally agree. They want to have service. It's mm -hmm. not like, um, we're like washing our hands of the situation. We're trying to provide support yes. to these people. So we're definitely on the same page as far as our kind of way of thinking, but it's just from a different kind of um, terminology, so to speak. Right. Uh, and I think that's such an important thing that we can do for families to give people the opportunity that they're getting something taken away from them that, you know, is, is unfair. They're expecting uh, to bring life into the world and it gets ripped from them. And obviously every loss is horrific, but that's just like a different type of loss because you go from Next all level. this expectancy to it being taken away. So it's yeah. just a very different. And I think it's important that we understand how we can talk to these families that are going through that because it's a very different way than talking to someone that had a loss that 
someone was in a nursing home or a hospice for a number of years. So we as funeral directors need to understand how different we need to discuss these situations with all of our families. Yes, absolutely. And the class yeah. talks about terminology. And I also, yeah. um, there's a whole, during the class, there's a whole process of like, these are the different types of services that you can offer that keep the focus on the body. So that class, that infinite bombing class, it does teach and lend to keeping the focus on the body rather than um, memorial trinkets or, sure. you, know, uh, you know, blankets or wind chimes yeah. or whatever. Um, so it does right. create that like, okay, let's let mommy hold her 18 week gestation miscarried baby yeah. right because to some people it's like ew no but to those parents yeah i want to hold it my baby right. yeah and yeah. i do also yeah. talk about resources which i would love to add your resource to uh the resources list that i have during um list yeah. that i have during class where we talk about organizations like yours where funeral directors can still um they can still get paid for their services because those types of services they do take time and they do yes. take a special level of care so it's important that funeral directors are compensated through organizations yeah. like yours who offer this type of uh, monetary support for funeral homes yep. and families still get the service at no cost or very little cost to you know their family that is my absolute number one goal with our organization in the future. It's definitely something that I want to grow kind of slowly, but I want pretty much what I want is for funeral homes to be rewarded for doing these beautiful services for yeah. these families. So if I can have a nonprofit that uh, either a funeral home can get a tax exempt or a gift in kind, or they could get some sort of financial compensation for these, for the amount of effort they put in, it would make it infinitely more likely that we can have more services for these families going through this. And that would just kind of snowball and build on itself. And that's kind of what I see for like the long term for what I'm doing with that is so that way we can support families and we can support funeral directors and it's all moving in a direction that is just going to be beneficial for everyone that's involved. So um, I love that you said that that's, that's spot on. Thank you so much. Absolutely. I, I, I have such a passion and like for the little yeah. tiny ones and the, and yeah. you know, for the funeral directors that care for the babies too, because there's too. few of us, there's very yeah. few funeral directors that can emotionally, uh, mentally and technically yes. handle the little tinies, the little tiny little it's angels. It is very special. And so I think that kind of you know, for a lot of funeral homes that like, this is the way we've always done it. Well, it's, it's also a coping mechanism because right. there's just not very many people that can, they, they may want to help the family in that way, but let's just be honest, like caring for infants that little is like the hardest thing as a, as a funeral director that we have to face. It it's there's the no thing. doubt. Some it's, people it's can't do it. No, some, some funeral it directors is. cannot do it. And, and that's no. okay. That's okay. Yeah. It is okay it to is say, okay. you know what, it's too much for me. And that's absolutely okay. But there are a few out there that are willing to take on that really tough undertaking. And like, like I said, the, these um, nonprofits like, like yours is super valuable to the mm -hmm. funeral home and the family. So like you said, everyone Thank can you. kind of like win-win all the way around. Absolutely. Thank you for that. I appreciate it. All right, let's do some some rapid fire for you. Um, and we're going to switch gears. Um, what is the most common type of case that you're seeing from your trade work? Um, I know we already talked about um, obesity, but um, for like the other heavy hitters, are you seeing more of edema, jaundice, skin slip, decomp, tissue gas? What are you seeing most nowadays? And what is your best solution for whatever that case is obesity cases back again that's it 100 percent. way more than any other cases um take my class that's all i can say take my class get that in your tool belt so that you can move forward and put these cases you know behind you cool oh that's a death call here hold on just a second all right i think the students got it i'm sorry about that you know, we've been seeing a lot more business come in ever since we started Mortuary Marketing. And I got to tell you, all the funeral homes we work with, are they're saying the same thing. So what do we do? 
we run ads on Google and other similar sites that get directed at families that need a funeral home in your area. It then brings them to a page that we've designed for you that gets the family to call you to inquire for your services. It's really increased our volume big time. It's working for my funeral home, and I think most parlors could really benefit from its uses. I put a bunch of information in the podcast description. Go check it out. I'm always happy to help talk with you and answer any questions you might have. All right, let's get back to our morbid discussion. Okay, what would you say is the most dated technique that you still see people using it or talking about in the prep room? Like what is an antiquated thing that was all the rage maybe back 20 or 30 years ago and people are still carrying over to today? Are you seeing something um, that people are doing that you should that you think there's no need for that? Why are we still doing that? Yes, I see people still using wax hair restoration techniques. And so that to me is so outdated. It's so out in the past. Um, I teach the no wax Taurus technique. It's a hair implantation technique. Your hairstylist can come in, blow dry, curl, flat iron, you know, anything you need behind you. Or if you're an embalmer that is skilled in in cosmetology, you can go right over that and curl it, style it, whatever you want, um, blow dry it. So yeah out with the old uh, hair wax, hair restoration in with the new no wax Taurus technique. Absolutely. That's really cool. Love that. All right. Um, So it seems like you've done um, some embalming throughout the country sort of deal. Do you ever see um, the climate playing a role? Like I know you're in Arizona. So do you ever see that the, the drier kind of desert heat has more of an impact on the body drawn compared to maybe a different part of the country. Do you see kind of any difference based on the region you're embalming in sort of? Absolutely. Oh my gosh, this is so relevant. And especially because our listeners are from all over the place. So yes, Arizona, I would, I always use a higher um, humectant. So, right. When I'm in, if I'm in Florida, I might use none or maybe (laughs) eight to 16 ounces. And when here in Arizona, sometimes, sometimes I use 32 ounces of humectant per case. So there's a big difference. If you're in a humid area, you're going to be using less humectant. If you're in an area like Arizona where it's, it's really, really, um, dry, you know, humidity is like our friend here. So we're constantly trying Mm -hmm. to keep the bodies moisturized. Absolutely. Yeah. Definitely. Environment is a huge player. Or if you're in the Midwest, it's going to depend on the day of the week in the the season of the year. It's going to depend on the day of the week, but also in the Midwest, there's a lot of funeral homes up North that don't even have refrigeration. So that's yeah, another thing true. that I've noticed out here in Arizona, everywhere, like you, legally you have to have refrigeration. So we battle right. with um, coagulation of the, of the blood, right? Because everybody sure. goes into the cooler up North, you guys, a lot of oh. funeral homes just lay the bodies out in the prep room with no cooler. Yeah. They don't even have a cooler. So that we, plays we, a big role too. Sure. We do have a cooler, but let's say if we have, someone that passes away overnight, I would opt for them not to, so I could come in the first thing I get in the door. And so I could take care of that body rather than having to deal with that coagulation. Mm -hmm. Obviously it's going to help slow the decomposition, but it's not like I'm waiting, you know, 24 hours. It's, it's a much shorter timeframe. And I think that the, it, for me, it's more helpful. I don't know if you agree with that situation. I agree a little bit easier for me. Yeah, cool. 100%. So, um, great question. Ahead, sorry, no, yeah, Thank that's you. a great, great question. All right. So, uh, for my last question of the day, do you have a, a tip for us? This is more of a, a cosmetic type question. Um, for, for us funeral directors, what would be like your number one tip that you're using nowadays um, for cosmetizing a normal case, quote unquote? Um, give us a, a little secret tip that I can use uh, to. Up, up, up my game. Uh, normal tip for a normal case. Here's my, yeah. the best tip that I can give you, Michael, and all of your listeners is to do a facial before you cosmetize. What? That's my cosmetic tip for you. 
learn how to do a basic type of facial so that you can exfoliate all of the massage cream, the dead skin cells, all of that gunk that gets in the nose, you know, the creases of the nose uh-huh. and the lips and the hair, like someone that has a beard, right? You have all that. Learn how to give a, a facial beforehand to exfoliate all of that off and your makeup job is going to look so much better. That's my cosmetic tip. Wow. I want to be one of your bodies when I pass away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Get pam- get pampered after death. Exactly. What even goes into that then? Uh, what I've never had a facial, so I, I'm sure I could use one, but what, what does that look like for you when you're doing it uh, to, to perform that process? Well, I want to encourage you to come and take the Deserology class with the students that are going to be coming yeah. to learn the postmortem facials this year um, online. But cool. in short, it's basically an exfol- think exfoliation. Um, like I yeah. said, we put, you know, there's a lot. We put stuff like massage cream and stone oil and all this stuff on the skin after we embalm to kind of you know, help preserve and keep the skin looking nice. But if you can imagine, like, I don't know if you've ever gone camping or not, but yeah, you know, you go camping, you get kind of like that scuzz, like behind your ears and and, and the size of your nose, your eyebrows might get a little, they get that scuzz. You come home and you really just want to deep, like wash your whole face. So that's kind of like what I'm, I'm suggesting is that, you know, this person, the person who has died has been through a lot, whether they're in a hospital or home care, or if they've died on a scene somewhere, they goes back to disinfection, right? So we're going to start with that disinfection process. We're going to disinfect all over again, um, exfoliate. I like to use a a handheld face washcloth with some gentle uh, facial cleansing soap and, and then, um, dry wash. I know a lot of people don't like to hear that. They're like, oh my God, you're going to dry out the skin, but you have to take the class to find out how to do it so that your makeup comes out nice and fancy. (laughs) I'm sure you're getting rid of plenty of dead skin when you do that. (laughs) That's right. And so the dead skin, (laughs) after we die, our body is, you know, after we reach cellular death, our body begins to break down and our skin cells are part of that breakdown. So from one day to the next where you and I were living, our skin cells are still intact for a dead body. Those skin cells on top of their face are multiplied, um, you know, 10 times what a living person is. So we want to really get down to the natural beauty of the skin. That's a great point. Yeah, reveal the natural beauty that the skin has underneath all the gunk on top. And part of that is disinfecting and exfoliating all of that off first and starting with a clean palette, just like a painting, right? Clean palette. Absolutely. Wonderful. Well, Monica, it has been such a blast getting to talk to you. For all of our listeners, take her courses. Clearly, you have already gotten so much value and knowledge from her today go try out her courses so you can take your game to the next level and learn how to be the second best embalmer in the world because everyone <laughs> will take the game to you. <laughs> but thank you so much for taking the time, Monica. It's been so much fun getting to talk to you. Thank you, Michael. I really wish you a lot of success with your podcast. Thank you for everything that you're doing for families, especially for our, our parents, our bereaved parents. And um, I look thank forward you. to chatting with you again in the future. Hopefully we'll get to meet up again. Absolutely.